0: Welcome, everybody, to uh, the second SIF episode of 2016. This is the, like, um, Empire Strikes Back to last week's Fellowship of the Ring, which will be succeeded by next week's Matrix Revolutions. (laughs) Is that the third one? Yes. Nailed it. The second one is reloaded. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So so this one's going to be the darkest episode. Uh, and <laughs> one, one, of us,
1: lo- one of us will die.
0: Some, one of us will lose a hand. <laughs> uh, but we won't spoil it. You'll just have to listen to find out what happens. Uh, if you can't tell by the giggles, the distinctive giggles coming through, uh, it's three of us this time, uh, just like last time on the show. Melissa's back. Welcome back, Melissa.
2: Hey, okay, thank you. Good to be I told here.
0: You, I told you you couldn't escape.
2: I know. I'm still here.
0: You're set for life. Is this is this your, your third consecutive episode of
1: the Francis Farmer Show?
2: It might be. Although, you could, didn't you and Mike do one in between? I, I, Maybe not.
0: I think we had the SIF preview. In you guessed it on the, yeah, I think so. You've done more consecutive episodes in a row than I have. (laughs) I'm slowly slowly passing the baton. (laughs) No. Receding into the darkness. Um, We just got to... You know what we got to do? We got to do a show without Sean sometime. That would be great.
2: Hey. (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm getting sucked further in, though.
0: You know what would be hilarious? Is that show will, like, blow up the internet. Like, Mm -hmm. we'll be, like, bigger than, like, anything. Um, And then... Sean will be sad. <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with that. I'd <laughs> be fine. All right, cool. We'll, we'll work on it. The problem is, is that, uh, you know, Melissa and I have lives, and we don't have time to like edit the show and you know post it and all that stuff. I, I have, I have a <laughs> life. Do you? Yeah. Does it Does it include anything beyond SIF? Have you left the house? Let me tell me. Answer this question. The last five times you've left the house, has it been for Sith?
1: No, I had to. (laughs) Yes. uh... I
0: liked the counting up.
2: The pause. Yeah. Yeah, The
1: mental pause. I've got got kids. I had to take them on like play dates. We had to go shop for a birthday present because they're going to a birthday party. Mm
0: -hmm.
2: Excuses.
0: Now that's a podcast, like yeah. that. You know, we don't even need to talk about movies. We'll just talk about what you did with your yeah. kids, because that's that's thrilling. Yeah, kids. We
2: could we it's, can start a parenting podcast.
0: It's better oh god, than, it's
1: better than some of the movies that I've seen at CIF, so. That's for sure. That's
0: for sure. Well, uh, yeah. So this is the halfway point of the festival, roughly. Yeah. It's got like another what? Another twelve, six, 12, 12 days. Six, eight eight weeks, something like that. <laughs> Nine months. It's like never, a baby never ends. gestating. Um, <laughs> it'll consume just us all.
2: Never born. It just
0: never born. Still, still born. <laughs> it, it will give birth to the 2017 Seattle International That's right. Festival That's right. That's <laughs> right. But it'll all be 2014 movies. Yeah. <laughs> um, Alright, yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna just like I don't know, this is gonna be kind of scattershot, I guess. I mean, if you couldn't tell already, this episode's gonna be kind of freewheeling and we'll just talk about stuff we saw. And and there's a little bit of overlap, um, but as we were talking just before recording, I don't think there's a single movie that all three of us have seen yet. No. That's right. SIF. All right. Well, um, let's start with uh, you see, I, w- I don't want this to. I want this to. I don't want us to all get all the good stuff out first, and then and then mm-hmm. end up talking about the midland stuff. You know what I mean? We right. need to. We need to like shake it up here. You know what I mean? You want to. So, you want to hold something back for the right. listener to give them a reason to keep listening. Huh. Although people tend to like, you know, when people hate watch stuff. So you know, mm-hmm. there might be the, yeah. There's that. There's there's definitely like stuff that I. <laughs> yes, pe- people are monsters. <laughs> they are. <laughs> um so let's let's start let me let me let me pose this question to you okay melissa yes what's the most mediocre film you've seen at so far? because that's that's <laughs> that the sif baseline mediocre. that we're working with
2: yeah um let's see none of them have an outright bad although i i've only seen six but probably the most mediocre one would be a documentary by Gillian Armstrong called "Women He's Undressed," um, and I think this was on your list too, Sean. As a potential, but
1: yeah, you I haven't, I haven't watched it. it yet.
2: Yeah, <laughs> so this is dis- it was disappointing. I must say, it's not it's not a t- it wasn't a terrible movie, but um, it, it was disappointing. Um, so it's by Gillian Armstrong, who has done my brilliant career, Australian filmmaker, um, and also Little Women. Um,
1: <clears throat> Love that little women.
2: Yeah, it's good. Yeah. I really like it. Yeah. Um, so, this is a, a documentary about Ori Kelly, who is a costume designer, um, little known, but an um, important figure in uh, classic Hollywood. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't know. Are any costume designers that well known? Generally speaking, maybe Edith Head would be a name people would know. Um, mm-hmm. But he is one of the the um, more well known ones, um, if you know costume designers. But he won some a few three Academy Awards, um, and he did the costume design for things like *Some Like It Hot* and um, *Casablanca*, *American in Paris*, *Sean's Favorite*, *Oklahoma*.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> the costumes are fine in *Oklahoma*.
2: Yeah, they are. They're great. They're, they're um, not the problem. <laughs> Shall we start singing some Mm-mm. songs from, from Oklahoma? Um, <laughs> God, <no. laughs> um, so the movie, I, I think its goal is to acknowledge his really immense talent as a costume art, artist, uh, particularly his specialty in women's clothing, women's costumes and to, but also to acknowledge difficulty of being a gay man in Hollywood at, at the time. And I'll start with maybe what worked best about the film for me. And essentially it was, it it highlighted the various films that he designed costumes for. Um, And it, it really kind of in a lovely way invited me to look at these clips of these classic films through the lens of, costuming and it's really a pretty fascinating perspective to think about the importance of costuming for a particular actress um actresses whose bodies obviously are very different from one another and then also costuming just for the particular roles um whether that role is supposed to be assigned to a star who needs both to be kind of a character and a star at the same time very glamorous or dressing for a more maybe um, a character actor whose role is more hidden and needs to disappear in the role a little bit um, more. Um, uh, Ori Kelly was a particular favorite with someone like Betty Davis, um, among, among others. And some of the details that I really did love that the film brought out was the challenges of dressing like her body in particular, and taking into account things like her insistence on not wearing certain things, um, an underwire bra, for example, um, which really presented a problem for Ori Kelly and the necessity of keeping things up, you might, you might say, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, but she thought it, the, the wire would cause her cancer. So he had to figure out other ways just with the details of the costume um, in order to make her look like she should look. Um, um, another great sort of detail was something like it highlighted the challenge of dressing Natalie Wood for her role in uh, Gypsy, uh, which I haven't seen, but it's a She's a burlesque dancer. I guess would be the nice way to say it. Uh, kind of a stripper, um, where she had to look a lot more voluptuous than she actually was. So it it hid the costume of that. Um, ultimately, though, I that was that was the highlights. I mean, just seeing the film, the the clips of the classic films was great. And then thinking about the costuming of that. But ultimately, I did find the film to be pretty frustrating and kind of thought that. I just wish that maybe Karina Longworth would do an episode on him from You Must Remember This or something like that. But she she uses this conceit of she chooses an actor to play Ori Kelly. And then he looks directly at the camera and tells us about himself. And he does it in these various kind of campy poses. Um, Yeah. So there's like this recurring pose where this actor playing Ori Kelly is rowing a red rowboat And I think it's supposed to represent Ori Kelly's flamboyance and outsider-ness and the fact that he's from Australia while he tells us a story about his life. And so it cuts back and forth between him sitting there pretend rowing in this boat um, and then to film clips and some chalking heads of various people like Jane Fonda or uh, Angela Lansbury. And I think the effect is supposed to be playful and energetic, but it's ultimately pretty disorienting. And I ultimately kind of felt like I wasn't sure if what he was saying to me was just gossip or if it was actually facts. And oftentimes it was confused like what movie he's talking about um, or what movie he was he was dressing someone for. Um, and it, it really did have the effect of distancing me from the person of Ori Kelly because here's this actor playing Ori Kelly and I don't even really have a sense of who he was necessarily. Um, and the other, one final thing I will say about it too is that the film really had a chip on its shoulder about uh, Cary Grant. Um, what? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, because Ori Kelly and um, Cary Grant, when Cary Grant was Archie Leach, um, apparently had a relationship in New York, or at least they lived together, um, the film assumes that they were lovers. And I'm not really sure if that's actually true or not. It's one of those things where it's like, is this actually true, or is this just gossip, or what is this? And then when they both moved to Hollywood, The film sort of implies that Cary Grant callously threw Ori Kelly off and ignored him and lived a more dishonest life than Ori Kelly, who didn't pretend not to be gay. Whereas Cary Grant was just, so he's kind of the villain of the film in a way. And he goes on to marry five hapless women and divorce them. And it's a very bizarre perspective on Cary Grant I thought and that I wasn't quite sure what it was trying to achieve because it didn't really seem like it had actually that much information right. about you know, Ori Kelly and, and Cary Grant so yeah ultimately there were some great things in it that made me wish I could either see another movie or something about yeah. costume design
0: yeah that's a bummer
2: yeah <laughs> <laughs> It was a
0: bummer. Yeah, those two, those two, uh, those two bad marks you gave it, that that just crosses it off my list right there. You don't, you can't, right? you can't drag Cary Grant through the mud.
2: Exactly. It I mean, no, good. no, no.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well Well, um, I I saw a film that's a, that's about you know one aspect of filmmaking uh, and highlights of, you know an uh, an aspect that. It probably gets talked about more than costume design, but um, it's cinematography. And I just watched uh, Kirsten Johnson's Camera Person. All right. Um, Wait, there's a uh, hold on that. What, I can t- I can talk ninety words about it? Yeah.
2: <laughs> oh, I'm gonna start counting, Mike. 90. Well, we should we, we,
1: we should explain that there are there are a, a number of the films at the festival we're not allowed to talk about at length because uh, there's a hold review policy on them. Even though they are they have like played other places and been reviewed extensively elsewhere, uh, SIFF has a policy which we are
0: required to follow. Right. Thank you for policing me.
2: <laughs> Even though we're just chatting about the movies yeah. here. Yeah,
0: I think
1: we're, we're allowed to like mention it. <laughs>
2: okay. Right. Can you give us your so
0: capsule, that, capsule? So that's chat? our discussion about camera person. Um, <laughs> camera person's it's really good. It's really really good, and it it does and and it's 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 interesting in so many different ways. Like um, you know, it, it kind of deals with the um you see kind of the the aspects of cinematography and how, you know, those play into stuff. Um, and, and also kind of, you know, she's a documentary uh, cinematographer exclusively and how, you know, uh, documentaries also distort the truth at times. And, it, and that's in minuscule ways, like, you know, making a prettier picture by pulling some blades of grass out of the way or something like that. But then it also goes into other aspects and, and, and uh, the, the, the the thread of the movie that I really loved was the one about mothers and children, and uh, it was really powerful. And it's a good movie. Yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> I'm really. I want
2: to see that not, one. And
0: then, I'm sorry, that was 91 words. I'm Uh-oh. really sorry. I, I'm uh, I'm, I'm really excited to
1: see that one too. I've uh, I've heard really great things about it from from people who aren't you, so I, <laughs> I, I suspect it, it will indeed be very good.
0: Um, yes. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a really interesting way of just because the footage is all from, uh, you know, previous films that she shot. She's just kind of compiled all of these images together and they kind of go from one thing to another and then back around. And um, yeah, it's it's a it's a really interesting um, way of constructing this narrative, whatever right. narrative it is, I guess.
1: Right. So. Uh, I haven't uh, actually seen any movies yet that are about making movies. But I did see a movie that is about uh, an artist and art critic, and that is uh, uh, an anthology film called The Seasons in Kinsey, uh, which uh, the main the main draw is one of the the four films in it is directed by Tilda Swinton, ah, uh, which is nice. so cool, and it's about the 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 critic and an artist uh, John Berger,
2: mm-hmm. who
1: I had not heard of. He's but, great. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He he seems very interesting from from the film and the first film is kind of a long discussion uh with him and and uh tilda swinton talking about their fathers they uh tilda and john apparently have been friends for like 30 years Hmm. Uh, so they like they like gather at his cabin and she slices apples and they talk about their dads (laughs) and it's very sweet and then the last of the four is the film that she directed, and it's, uh, it's her, uh, like, teenage kids uh, visiting uh, Berger in, in his house and then, and then at his farm, and she just kind of follows them as they talk to him. So the, the whole thing is kind of like a, a seasonal thing, like it starts in the winter and they're talking about their dads and it ends in the summer and they're talking about uh, kids. Uh, The middle two films are not as good. There's like one about uh, animals that's just kind of uh, uh, it kind of reduces what seems to be like a a complex argument that he made in one of his books about uh, humanity's relationship to animals and whether or not we should eat them uh, to uh, kind of a, a very simple kind of vegetarian, yay thing which is fine but it's it kind of simplifies what i think is a more complex argument that he's making and then the the third one is uh about like his political activism and it takes the form of like an old like 1960s british style panel show where they have like three like talking heads and they're sitting on in like a space and they're talking about politics but it's uh their conversation i just thought was really kind of lame Mm-hmm. There's like a lot of talk about how the left doesn't have a really good narrative to explain what's going on in the world today. And that's why like the, the dumb masses by people like Donald Trump and <laughs> it's all like really kind of snide and condescending, mm-hmm. which I found really off. Mm-hmm. But the, yeah. but the, the first, the, the two films with, with Tilda Swinton were, were really nice and, and really cool. I like those a lot. So that is and also so a she... kind of a, a mediocre film.
2: Okay. And she just directed the last
1: She directed film the last of that one, series? but she's, she's, uh, she like wrote the first one. Okay. Because it's like a, this conversation with her and, and Berger. So technically right. she's, she's writing it. And, and she does the narration too, I think, in, in the first story as well. So. Do you know no, what I, she's working
0: on right now? By uh, the way, as an aside? Doctor Strange? No, I, well, after that. No. She is in a remake from the homeboy that did uh, I Am Love. Hmm. They're re- remaking Suspiria, which to me is, like, really, really weird. But, that's like, it's weird. like, well, if you're going to remake Suspiria and you're going to put Tilda Swinton in it, that's kind of cool, but, like, I would not have expected... Yeah, uh, you know, Well, you know, anyway. we yeah. That's a digression, but wow. it, it, that's uh, kind of intriguing.
2: That's interesting. She <laughs> does definitely choose interesting projects, and I mean, seriously, that she knows John Berger is like she couldn't be more cool. She already just became more cool. I mean,
1: well, she 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 kind of she grew up in the British art scene. That's like where she first yeah. she was like uh, yeah. best friends with Derek Jarman, and, and so she's she is from like the British avant-garde from up to the '80s, and just yeah. kind of ended up in making mainstream Hollywood movies. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, she's so cool.
1: Yeah. <laughs>
0: Uh, All right, so we need to set was, away here, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> See, I don't want to. <laughs> you want me to thread the needle? I'll be happy yeah. to thread the needle. Thread it, thread away. <laughs> well, uh, Tilda Swinton is obviously one of our most cherished actors. Um, so let's let's talk about maybe a performance uh, in a film. That, you know, pick, pick a pick a performance from a film that really you know hit us. Uh, this year at SIF, got anything, Melissa?
2: Hmm. Well, I mean.
0: Uh, See, the okay, problem with up. me setting it up is you got to be ready to <laughs> I knock it down. I, <laughs> I
2: know, I know. <laughs> Terrible at that. Um, well, does Sunset Song have a hold? Can we or not?
1: The Sunset Song is okay. a hold.
2: Has a hold. Okay.
1: You can you can talk briefly about Sunset Song.
2: Okay. Well, I did.
0: We'll really, just bleep you yeah. out.
2: Okay. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Once I hit ninety words, yeah.
0: the
2: only start yeah, to, to just... <laughs> well that um, yeah, I I think the performances in that are are fantastic, and I um, loved the main character, which I am not looking at what her name is right now. Chris it's Guthrie I, Agnes, by Agnes, Agnes Dane, Den. Den? Yeah. Which, um, she looked really familiar to me. So I feel like I've must've seen her in some kind of BBC production or something like that before, but, um, she was fantastic for the, the role and, um, just her, I think her, even the, the way that she moved her, her body and, um, then how that interplayed with the camera was, um, was amazing. I think it, it's a, a kind of a tough role to play in some ways because it, it could easily be maybe too melodramatic, um, And there is a tinge of melodrama, I suppose, um, in the film, but Terrence Davies is one of those like Douglas Sirk that knows how to do melodrama uh, right. Um, But I did really love her performance. And I think the entire cast is fantastic too. Peter Mullen is the, um, as John Guthrie, who plays her father, who is a terrible person, plays it really, really well. (laughs) He's a, he's, you just love to hate him um, in the film.
1: Yeah, Peter Peter Mullen's kind of carving out that that niche as uh, as the patriarchy.
2: Yes, exactly. In uh, Jane Campion's uh, and miniseries, Top of the, top of the lake, lake as yeah. well. Very similar character. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, that that's a great performance and uh, a great movie too. That <laughs> unfortunately we can't talk about more because it's no. while it's opened other places, it hasn't opened in Seattle. So
2: Right. So
1: curses. What about, what about you, Mike? Any uh, performances stand out to you?
0: Well, yes. There's <laughs> one. Per, there's one performance in particular that stands out to me, and you know. So I've seen a total of five movies so far uh, at SIF this year. Three uh, that are new, you know, and some that hold reviews and stuff. And then you and I, Sean, have actually gone to uh, the two. Uh, archival films that I've, I've gone to see. Um, and I'm just going to take a moment. I was going to take a moment, just a brief moment to talk about how fucking good chimes at midnight is because <laughs> that movie whole, I mean, and I've seen it before and I've talked about it before and I, and I wrote about it on, on screen scene. And, and uh, but there, it, it is so juicy and it is so, it is so, um, Inviting, and and there's there's so much going on in in Chimes at Midnight, and it's endlessly fascinating. It's beautiful, and it's ugly, and it's oh, it's great. But Orson Frickin Wells brings <laughs> the ruckus in that movie. I mean, it's the role he was born to play, and he and he just and and he, and it's totally Orson Wells doing it. Like he, you know, he he's chewing the fat, he's chewing the scenery, you know. Uh, it's not a subtle performance really, although it has subtlety to it, but it's, you know, it's bigger than life. Um, but it is so great because, because he's a hilarious character that, you know, we laugh along with and we laugh at throughout the movie. But then as the movie comes to its close, you, you're invested in this character and, and you get emotionally worked up by the circumstances that, you know, uh, happened to, 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 uh, John Falstaff. um, and it's uh, oh, it's so good. I want to watch it like again, like right now. Like after we watched it, Sean and I was leaving the theater. I was like, I, I just want to sit down and watch this thing again. Well, Criterion's putting out. You can. I know they it. are. I'm very excited. I'm, uh, it's, I'm buying it first day.
1: Well, Wells is is of course amazing in the movie, but uh,
0: seeing at this time,
1: I really uh, really picked up on how great John Gilgood is and and maybe it's because we we just saw him in in Prospero's Prospero's books
0: yeah
1: uh and it's a very different kind of performance but it's still like like recognizably i mean it's gilgood and he's got uh this amazing voice and this way of speaking that everyone in chimes at midnight imitates at one time or another which is hilarious um but uh just seeing the the contrast in their two performances and uh just the the idea to have the way that they speak be so different and have that kind of mirror the differences in them as father figures for for uh for Henry. Al yeah. Uh, is just it's it's so simple but it it works so well on on screen that Well uh, and and and
0: every and and the the way those their scenes are shot are different and I mean yeah it it's 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 so great. It's so so thought out well thought out and it's just um yeah, yeah.
1: I don't, awesome. I don't, I don't think like Keith Baxter is like all the way there and kind of uh, in 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 going along with that scheme because you would want him to be like Falstaff when he's with Falstaff and like and like uh, the King when he's with the King and to have uh, a more varied performance than what he does. But uh, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah, but it, uh, yeah, okay. but those
1: two. Oh, he he, tend, he tends more to the kind of staring off into space school of acting, as opposed <laughs> to like actually doing anything, and maybe that's mm-hmm. just with the Prince Hal character. Right, he's just he's just a moodier, more melancholy kid.
0: Right, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah. Well, but yeah.
2: Well, you make me more ashamed than ever that I haven't seen it.
0: That was the goal. Yeah. we're not actually recording this right now. It was just, just you know, this is this is an intervention, Melissa. <laughs> this is is coming to you and saying there's something wrong, and you need to rectify it.
2: It's that you have not seen time at midnight. Yeah,
0: yes, it's true. Well, it's true. Right. Friendships, friendships have broke have been broken over smaller things. And Let this is ultimately. not
2: a small thing. No, obviously. this is a huge
0: thing. It's a yes. very big thing. And there are a lot of fat jokes in the movie, so I can make that. I can make that low blow because there are a lot of fat jokes in that movie. But
2: what are you implying?
0: <laughs> I'm implying that he's fat. That's what I'm implying.
2: Okay. God.
0: All right. Now that I've uh, burned every bridge in this building, uh, we're gonna take a quick break, uh, and then talk about more movies at SIF. and then talk about movies that we can't talk about that are playing at SIFF. <laughs> And so on and so forth. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, we, we left you with a discussion of, of, of the corpulent joy that is uh, Orson Welles in Chimes at Midnight. And now I want to talk for 89 words. <laughs> uh, about Tiny, the life of Aaron Blackwell, uh, which I mentioned on the previous show, was a film I was really, really looking forward to. Um, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a follow up to Streetwise, which is the homeless youth documentary that uh, was shot in Seattle in 1983. And Tiny, eh, kind of a letdown. Uh, it follows one of the main characters, uh, one of the main people, um, who is no longer tiny. She's, she's uh, the mother of ten. Um, her name is Erin Blackwell and uh, she lives outside of Seattle and she's on methadone and her kids are half of them are in juvenile hall and uh, it's pretty depressing. <laughs> and it's, uh, the only saving grace or the only the only glimmer of light was the fact that she has like three or four chihuahuas running around her house, which I was particularly into but um, but it's pretty pretty sad and it's kind of slight uh, for a, a, a narrative feature. Um, it felt like more of a supplement that might go on a DVD um, as, a next, as a bonus feature or something like that but um, it's definitely I, I think if you haven't seen Streetwise it, it it doesn't even it's not worth it I guess in a way um, Streetwise is so perfectly done and, and there's so many interesting narratives that are weaving in and out of that movie and this is kind of just a one trick, uh, pony. And I, and that's 89 words. <laughs> Is that- you, I, you know what I, wa- you know I want to picture? I want to picture some SIF like, uh, you know, intern like sitting <laughs> here with like headphones on Bouncing. and like, and like pause it. Like, yeah, just scratching out like, okay, that was a word. That was a word. And then since I tend to ramble and go, uh, you know, uh, and they're like, well, do I count that? It's like, not really a word. I hope that happens.
2: That would be perfect. for <laughs> some it? Concern. Yes. Well, so. uh,
1: I, I, I too saw a film that I was excited about and then was disappointed <laughs> by. And, uh, I can talk for more than 90 words about it, but I don't know that I have more than 90 words to talk about it. Uh, it's, uh, The Island Funeral, which is, uh, by the Thai director, uh, uh Pimpaka Tawira. And, uh, it sounded really cool. It's like a, a, a woman and her sister and their friend uh, take off to rural Thailand uh, because she wants to see her her aunt, uh, and they get lost and they see a bunch of like military people and then apparently like weird things are supposed to happen to them. But uh, uh, while they they wander around, they drive around. There's long shots of of. Scenery and landscapes, and uh, there's a couple of, of strange things that happen, but not really all that strange. and then when they get to the ant it's uh it's just kind of boring and not that surprising and really really slow and maybe it's just that I was very tired, but uh, I thought it uh, it didn't it didn't pay off. all mm-hmm. of like the the uh, the kind of Thai minimalist kind of peach upon wheres ethical kind of thing. It always pays off in in Where's ethical films. Uh, but it just kind of ended up somewhere mundane and
2: Mm.
1: that was I found that really disappointing because there there are parts of it that were that are really kind of really beautiful and really lovely and uh it just didn't uh yeah it just didn't work in the end for me it was it was also this is also the like the most mediocre movie I saw
2: Mm. that's too bad
1: What about what about you, Melissa? Any any disappointments?
2: Are we looking for more mediocre ones? Yeah, (laughs) Um.
1: (laughs) just something you were looking forward to. Um. Yeah, well, it, it,
0: it is the, it is the sith episode yeah.
2: so. <laughs> right all right well one i talked about on the last podcast that i was kind of i i was hopeful about but i was also a little worried about um was the uh polish movie by the name of the filmmaker that i'm gonna massacre but i'll just say it's agnieszka shomdriska um the lure it's called the lure and it's uh
1: that, that sounds about
2: right the, to me. With my does, that, does that sound right? No,
1: yeah, with my extensive knowledge, knowledge of Polish. I okay, would say great. That that uh, <laughs> as,
0: as someone with a Polish last name, you did fine. You're going
2: to go with Okay, perfect. <laughs> you did fine. <laughs> Excellent. We're going to go with it. Um, so this is the the film about the two mermaid sisters who appear in some version of uh, 80, 1980s Warsaw, and they become uh, kind of the hit, the hit stage act of this restaurant club um, in, in Warsaw. And it's, a uh, the film is kind of a, a play on the Little Mermaid story, except they have two sisters uh, or two mermaids instead of one. Um, and one of the sisters kind of follows the Little Mermaid path, which if you know the story, it doesn't, doesn't end well. It's not the, it's not the Disney version where things are, things are kind of happy. Um, and then, so she, she falls in love with someone at the club and then the other sister is a little bit more, uh hungry, so she eats people instead. <laughs> um but the, the the film is um <laughs> the mermaids eat you know humans as as you know. Um so it's kind of a play on that. So I was looking forward to this kind of um vision of communist Warsaw in the eighties where you have this cabaret like club where it's kind of um, a place where maybe people can break out from the kind of re- repressive regime, I guess. Um, and it um, elements of it did really work in a way. it's very, it's very kind of a, a visceral film and um, it's it's gross and also very sexy and um,
0: right on my alley. I,
2: <laughs> I mean, so, so, You're speaking my so. language.
0: <laughs> That's the new that's the new that's the new phrase for the show. Yeah, gross
1: and gross sexy. Gross and
0: sexy. Put it, put it on iTunes. All
2: together. That's right. <laughs> um so it it really did I mean it's kind of like what you might imagine a real mermaid is like, which is kind of kind of has the gross element. I mean, it's a fishtail, right? It's fishy. It doesn't smell very good. But they're still pretty sexy. And they sing really well. And they really love the 80s music. And they and the music is pretty cool throughout the movie. So it is also kind of a musical as well, which I thought could be cool. But I, I think ultimately, even though it a lot of it works in, in terms of it being a very sensory film and maybe having some interesting things to say about the way that maybe female sexuality is considered a a scary other um, and it needs to be conformed um, and put into a different, it it needs to be uh, put into a particular box. Um, So I think there's an interesting thing there, but it ultimately, I'm not really sure what the movie wants to be. If it wants to be just a feminist fairy tale, or if it just wants to be kind of an homage to the director's, own childhood in these, these Warsaw restaurant clubs. Um, so it, yeah, it just, it didn't really quite work. I mean, there, there are elements of it that were great. I mean, I did love some of the musical numbers and just the whole feel of the the club. It has a bit of the cabaret, the film element of it there. Um, and some of the body horror stuff was interesting, but eh, eh, I don't know if I can u- ultimately get behind the gross sexiness of it. <laughs> so,
0: I'd like to just as an aside say that I personally find the ending of Disney's Little Mermaid uh, actually very depressing. Uh, not very happy, but uh, I know where you're coming from.
2: Yeah. Well, <laughs> in the, have you read the original story? In that, I don't know if
0: I have actually.
2: It's, I mean, it's good, the, but this is even it, it, it's pretty gentle though, and this is sort of the darker version of that. So, in the right. the original Hans Christian Andersen story. The Little Mermaid, because the the prince that she loves does not love her back, she turns into sea foam at the end. Well,
0: that's kind of cool. Um,
2: so it is. Yeah, I, it I, is haven't, cool. I haven't
0: read that. Yeah, yeah.
2: It's way better than the yeah, but kind of a gentler ending. And I and I did like that this movie went there with that right, to a pretty right. dark ending. Um, so those kinds of elements were great, but yeah, ultimately I wasn't I wasn't I was left not really knowing if this is thematically cohesive or kind of what ultimately the director wanted to to do with it Mm. so
0: is this would you put this on the spectrum of mermaid movies would you put this closer to ponyo on the cliff by the sea (laughs) or ron howard's splash
2: wow hmm um probably closer to splash although although pretty far from splash
1: okay still (laughs) (laughs) So kind of right in between
0: Panyo and Splash. That right. sweet spot, that sweet yeah. spot between Panyo and Splash.
2: That's exactly, I'm put, right.
0: I'm putting that on the poster for that one. Well, <laughs> you
1: guys need to see Stephen Chow's The Mermaid. So, oh, yeah, that's yes. true.
2: I do need to see that one.
1: Yeah. that's a good point. And I I, I, believe, got, I, the record, like, I, I believe it's streaming now. By the way, I think it's like on Netflix or something. Yeah, or Amazon. Oh,
2: yeah. all right. All right. No excuses.
0: That's right. Well, one excuse. Sif. Sif. <laughs>
1: we
2: watch the movies, but then we can't talk about them.
0: Right. All
1: right. Mike, your turn to not Is talk my about turn? a movie. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, I'm going to talk about uh, my biggest disappointment. Um, so I, I said it on the last show. What?
1: I, I thought Tiny was your
0: disappointment. Well, well, Tiny was a disappointment. you have, you have disappointment. more disappointments? This is, this is the... Yeah. <laughs> Tiny was,
2: podcast so far.
0: <laughs> Tiny was a disappointment, but it's fine. It's just mediocre. Mm. Uh, alone is bad, in my opinion. Um, I mentioned this on the last uh, show, where I tend to gravitate towards these, like, random Korean, like, thrillers and stuff at, at film festivals. Yeah. Um, and so Alone is a is a new film uh, about this guy who witnesses it's kind of, it starts out kind of like rear window. He sees uh, an attack on a woman across uh, the way from his apartment, um, but he, he betrays his presence and the um, the attackers uh, come for him uh, because he, he was shooting photos of it as evidence. So they want the camera and they want the film and all that stuff. And the beginning is really interesting um, because it's, 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 it's kinetic, it's propulsive. It's, it's, you know, kind of thrilling. It's a thriller that's thrilling for the first 15 minutes um, as they, they trap him in his apartment and they break through the window and it's, 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 it's pretty frightening stuff. Um, And then it cuts to this long, it's pretty much the rest of the movie. Um, He wakes up naked in the alleyways surrounding his kind of the slums that his apartment's in, and he kind of wanders through this dreamlike, you know, uh, I don't know, nightmare where he he runs into like his younger self, he runs into his ex girlfriend, he runs into his dad, um, but it's all really the storytelling is really blunt. Like I mean, it, it's it's really obvious, and it tries to go for. I don't even think "shock" is the right word. It it's just trying to hit you with cliche. It's not trying to hit you with cliches, but but it's like <laughs> I know the little boy will kill his father, and it's like, well, that's not really that interesting, and and all those kind of uninteresting things pile up upon each other to where you just kind of don't care anymore. Um, and it, it's an interesting idea. The concept is really interesting, and I and I find uh, a lot of it. Um, cool in the abstract, but in the way that it plays out in the film, there's just there's no I don't know intelligence at least uh, from my perspective of of going on with what the ultimate goal of this is. Like I thought for a while, I thought there was a uh, a thread about like okay, this is how people process trauma because he's he's being attacked by these people and he kind of regresses and he goes into this kind of mental state where he's you know going through previous experiences that he's had or something like that so I thought it was trying to talk about PTSD or or how we kind of deal with those kinds of things but then it kind of just it kind of just is a blah it's just like I don't know any better way to say it where it just it's just kind of laid out there for you and you you're like, well, here, here comes another scene where you know his mom's gonna, you know, cry on the phone and he's gonna be sad, and then, you know, he's gonna run to the ex girlfriend and she's gonna call him an asshole because he's kind of an asshole and you don't really care about him and blah 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 and it so it just really didn't add up to much at all, which is unfortunate because and it's it's one of those things where I think there's a push and pull with um where the gifts are where the where where the strengths are behind the camera um mm. i think are are more towards kind of genre filmmaking but mm. it's trying to be something else it's trying to be kind of thought provoking um and yeah. it's not, <laughs> <Yeah>.
2: <laughs> not so it that. it
0: was a slog it's 90 minutes but it felt like twice as long it was quite a slog for me so
2: yikes
0: yeah mm. so yeah, you win some, you lose some. But.
2: You're still going to go see those Korean violent dramas, I bet. Uh,
0: you know, I, I keep every time I think you I'm out, they pull away. back in. Yeah. I, I,
1: I still want to see this movie because, like like I said on the last show, I, I liked uh, the guy's last movie, uh, which I saw four years ago. Uh, I was going to watch it last night, but so we could actually discuss it on the show, but I did not. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I you mean, know, I've seen a couple of uh, positive notes about it um, out there and, you know, I'd, maybe you'll connect with it where I, I just I think that was the big thing is I just couldn't connect to it on 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 multiple levels. I didn't care about the, the character, the main guy uh, performance was fine, but I just didn't I didn't care about the character of Su Min is the name of the character. And um yeah all all of the kind of backstory that is teased out, like it really teases out these back this it's it, it tries to like be tantalizing as it goes forward. Like you want to know like, oh, what is the deal with his parents? like why, you know, but every answer is so generic that it was like when it when it comes, it's very deflating because yeah. you you know it, it there's nothing unique about Anything that, like, the storytelling, the the process of the storytelling might be unique, but the the actual story itself is not that interesting. So that's me. But
1: yeah, Uh, I, uh, there were only, uh, uh, there's been a couple of movies that I did not like. I don't think anything I I disliked as much as you disliked that one. But uh, for me, uh, the uh, Ty West movie, in a valley of violence. Oh, I've heard that's terrible. Uh it's just it's like a, it's like the a dumb version of a Robert Rodriguez film. <laughs> oh <laughs> oh,
2: With, oh. without oh.
1: without the excess that that makes Rodriguez kind of fun kinda even great. when yeah. he's being like terrible. Uh it's just it's It's like the form of a retro exploitation film without understanding how westerns actually work or why they work. It's just characters doing things for no apparent reason. And none of it is really the least bit compelling. And a lot of the performances are really like uh, uh, James. James How's John Travolta? John is fine. Uh, <laughs> James, James Ransone plays the, the villain. Um, he was in... Uh, uh, was the movie from last year where he played the drug dealer.
2: Oh, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Um,
1: uh,
2: I don't know.
1: Tangerine? Tangerine. He was in Tangerine, and he was in uh, the HBO uh, Generation Kill Uh, It's uh, an actor I really like, uh, totally out of place in a Western. (laughs) Uh, Ethan Hawke is doing like a Clint Eastwood impression the whole time. hmm. Uh, John Travolta is actually fine, but the whole thing is just kind of dumb and... And everything is, is on the surface. Like, And th- this is the thing that, that that people like Rodriguez, I think, don't really understand about what makes exploitation films good is that exploitation films follow a generic template, but there's always stuff under the surface. Like everything, the, mm-hmm. the genre is used to explore, uh, you know, things that can't be discussed in in films of quality, whereas these films right. are just kind of reveling in the excesses of the the genre film without anything interesting to say. And then right. you have a movie like this, which isn't even that excessive. Uh, mm. It makes, you know, something like Bone Tomahawk look like a John Ford film. Right. Uh, it was just, it's just yep. kind of a waste.
0: It sounds horrible. Uh,
1: and then <laughs> the other one is uh, uh, The Final Master, which is yeah. uh, one of the... I think two martial arts films playing at SIF this year. And it's by, it's directed by the guy who wrote the grandmaster. Um, which on the one hand would be like a selling point because The Grandmaster is a great movie. But on the mm. other hand, you realize that the reason why Wang Kar Wai movies are great is not because they are really well scripted. Nope.
2: <laughs> yeah, right.
1: Uh, and then you kind of realize that halfway into this movie, which is about a guy who wants to set up a a, a dojo so he can teach Wing Chun in like 1930s uh, Tianjin. Uh, and it, it's it's totally fictional. Uh, the Kung Fu, uh, various Kung Fu schools in the city have, like, arcane rules over who can open a dojo, so he has to, like, find somebody that he can train, but there's, like, certain rules over how Kung Fu masters can train their disciples, so he follows those rules, he picks a disciple, he trains them, him, but we don't actually see him training, we just skip to he's being trained, he has to defeat, like, a certain number of, of rival masters, uh, and then, his master has to betray his disciple uh, and then the disciple will have to leave town and then the original master can open his dojo. And if you're confused, um, <laughs> I kind of you should be somewhere. because it doesn't make any fucking sense at all. It's really dumb. Uh, it's just needlessly complicated. like the kind of stuff that you would put into like a, a serialized Kung Fu novel because you need to keep a story going for months and months and months and months and always mm. add another complication to it. But at the same time, while he's doing that in this like two hour Kung Fu movie, none of the characters are, are, are characterized at all. They're all just types. Uh, mm. and they're dropped whenever it's convenient. Like you, you, you know supposedly this is the story of the like the master and his disciple but you don't see the master training the disciple and then when the disciple does get dropped he just disappears and it's like there's no consequences nobody cares that he's not in the movie anymore uh i've seen it getting praised for its choreography which might be uh, good. Like they use uh, instead of like fists in Wing Chun, like you get in like the Ip Man movies or the or a Grandmaster. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, these short uh, short swords or long knives that they use. Like each fighter has two of them, uh, and it's some of like the movements are are neat and they might be accurate, but it's hard to tell because you can't actually see them because of the way that he films and cuts the action. Uh, there are very few like continuous motions that you can actually see close enough to understand what's going on. So I mean, even the action isn't all that interesting. So it's just it's just kind of uh, nothing of a movie. Like I. I don't get it at all i was looking around letterboxd and and Mm -hmm. nobody nobody i really follow i think had had seen it but all of the reviews that were there there was like a dozen ratings were all really high and excited for this film and i don't get Mm -hmm. that at all
2: maybe they just haven't seen (laughs) enough yeah or or something like that or
1: maybe there's just like a difference between certain kinds of genre fans and, and me like I'm yeah. sure that the Tai West film will have a lot of fans but I right. did not care for that either so to me these are two movies that that are like aping the form of a genre without really understanding what makes genre films interesting yeah hmm so yeah, those are the movies I did not like.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's <so> no good. <laughs> oh, that's well, let's talk about yeah. good stuff. Let's talk about Melissa. What was what's what is the highlight for you so far?
2: Ooh, the highlight. Well, In this first um, half. yeah. I well, one thing, one that I can say a little bit about, but is also one of those ridiculous hold hold movies is the uh, Our Little Sister. Just the one I talked about a little bit last time looking forward to that one, the Corita, um, film. And I expected to love it and I did love it. Um, <clears throat> I, I wouldn't say it's necessarily my very favorite, uh, of, of his films, but it, if, if you like him as a filmmaker, you will like this movie and it, it is like his other films that essentially follows a particular family and the kind of, Messy relationships and uh, the the interactions that they that they have kind of in the domestic setting, and so it's it's about three three sisters who are estranged from both their their parents, their mother and their father, out of the out of the picture, and they take into their home a half sister, who is the product of uh, an affair that their father had, and so the film is about the way in which the the sisters. I think learn to kind of create their own family, and the way that this little sister or this younger sister comes in and is a part of their of of their home, and and there's just a real center on the actual home life. So there are a lot of scenes where they're around the table eating, um, and and I love that I love those scenes because you get these just food. Th- there's so much a center on food and the idea of food being something that is something that we all do. And yet it is kind of the center of relationships in so many ways. Um, so I love the specificity of, of that. And I guess I can't say too much more because I'm way over the 90 the word.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> but it's, it's really wonderful. It's a gentle film that I, I suppose that in some people might think it too sentimental, but I think, I think that he avoids that because of the specificity of the characters and the world in which he puts the characters into so yeah i loved it
1: Have anybody uh,
2: seen that one or
0: that nope. that is another uh, one i'm i'm hoping to catch up with before the festival ends yeah yeah i that, that, that was that made my short list but i was unable to make it to the screening so i would li- i would like to catch that one too uh what's your what's your uh highlight so far mike uh, it's a movie called *Chimes at Midnight*, uh, directed by Orson Welles, starring Orson Welles as Falstaff, and it's kind of an amalgam of like five Shakespeare plays. And, it
2: sounds really familiar.
0: Yeah, John Gilgood's in it. Uh, it's it's just fantastic. Uh, that is my highlight. I'm sorry, that that is my, my favorite um, of the new stuff. It was camera person that I, that I mentioned at uh, the top of show. I can't talk too much about. Um, but one other fun one I'd like to talk about. Um, is the other rep film that, that you and I saw together there, Sean, uh, as I was uh, banned from the theater until, like, the 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 waning moments of the... Uh, because you were late. Oh. The buses were not running. <laughs> because
2: you were Excuse. late. This is,
0: you know, this isn't Japan. The buses were not on time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is not... Um, yes. But, anyway, I got in sat amongst the uh, <laughs> Seattle Cognacetti. Uh we had <laughs> we had the big names there yeah. I cu- I could go on and tell you about all the big names that were there for that screening let's, um, let's,
1: let's not do that
0: <laughs> <laughs> let me just let me just I do want as a, just a little aside I do want to I do want to point out and I won't name names but uh, but there was someone that Sean and I used to work with Um for many many years who prior to the show as before the lights went down was was talking amiably with Sean catching up with him until that person's company arrived and then they decided that Sean no longer existed and would not not (laughs) not acknowledge his existence even if there was a fire on his head wow did they just wrote him off
1: yeah, I, I believe I was in the middle of a sentence when this person's attention
0: oh. wandered away. <laughs> oh, wow! <laughs> and never to return. Yep. So, but mm. that's that's you know unimportant. Uh, what we saw, and it was the first film that I saw for the festival, um, was a film I hadn't seen before. It was Douglas Sirk's The Scandal in Paris, uh, starring the former namesake of this show, George Sanders. A 1946 film, in fact. A 1946 film, which is, yeah, the final year of the George Sanders year-in-review thing. Um, Well, we're still doing that. It'll be the
1: Francis Farmer year. Exactly.
0: But, uh, (laughs) wait, what year are we doing this year? 1946. Oh, that's this year? Yes. Oh, yeah. Okay, never mind. (laughs) I don't know what's going on. Uh, I should add that to my list. I didn't even think about that. Uh, It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I really wanted to
2: see that one. George Sanders,
0: yeah, he plays George Sanders. He's a a cad. He's a professional cad. Um, It's a costume comedy. He he works his way up from, you know, a state of extreme poverty uh, to basically being the chief of police in Paris, um, but doing so by, you know, being a rogue and a scoundrel. And it's just full of charm and, you know, that George Sanders whimsy that we are all, uh, you know, affected by and it was just a really fun time at the movies you know it's not what I like about it and what I liked about seeing it here was it's not it's not a chimes at midnight it's not like a it's just like oh yeah we're gonna go show mm-hmm. this with Scandal in Paris you know like hey everybody come on out and you know it's a fun movie it's not you know the greatest thing of all time But it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's not a movie that
1: anybody has ever really heard of before like the only, hmm. people, the only people I know that have watched this are like the hardcore Douglas Sork Auteur, auteurists who have like sought out all of his early stuff. Uh,
0: yeah, I mean it's just, and it's and it's and it's and it's and it's not a it's quote not, unquote Douglas Sirk it, film. Like it doesn't yeah. feel it's not like... his a, classic
2: but, yeah. melodrama yeah. sort of. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's I mean just,
0: it's 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 well made. It
1: shows that he has like a good eye and a good sense of rhythm, and and the sets are 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 used very well. But it's not like a technical or melodrama
0: you know like what he's known for right it's just a kind of breezy hour and a half uh that's really fun and you know it it was it was it was a blast i had a good time with it
1: and it has Sakim tamaroff playing a dragon
0: that's right (laughs) Uh, uh so that was yeah that was that was a fun one um but that's it for me. I'm done. I've, I've exhausted my my CIF so far. So I mean, do we want to go through everything we see? What if we do two more, one one from each of you, um, and then whatever we don't get to, we can we can lump into the final episode, if, you know, we need to. How does that sound? What's one? What's uh, pick that's one awesome. more film? One more film that you think people should seek out. Whether it, when it comes to their, you know, the Sonoma International Film Festival or <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, the DVD is released, you know, five years from now. what Melissa, hit us with something. Take us home. Give us something good. What you got?
2: All right. All right. Well, I, I've seen only two more. So, um, and one of them is Love and Friendship, which um, I, I think probably doesn't need more advertisement than it already has. Um
1: Oh, and no. maybe Sean, we, we gotta we, we to talk... make it a hit.
2: We have to talk about that one. Okay. Well, um, I I I do want to talk about one though that um, maybe is probably less. Yeah, maybe Sean, you can talk about love and friendship, and then I can jump into. Sure. Um, but the the one that is probably falling under the radar for a lot of people is a animated film called Long Way North, um, and it's by this is the debut future of. Um, a director, Remy Chayet. No idea. French name. Anyway, um, he Sounds was the <laughs> sure. Um, I studied Spanish in school, so I, so I don't know. Um, <laughs> he um, he was the assistant director on the movie Secret of Kells, which um, got some uh, attention when that when that one came out. But though the story follows a nineteenth century Russian girl, fourteen year old Sasha, who is an aristocrat in or her she and her parents are aristocrats in St. Petersburg and she is supposed to follow a certain uh, path in life, get married to the right person, but she instead goes on this adventure to find her seafaring explorer grandfather who has been on an expedition to the North Pole, and everyone else believes is lost, but she thinks that she knows where he is because she found some clues uh, in his study. So the story follows her as she, finds a ship that will take her there. Um, and so it's about her and her interactions with the crew and uh, when they get up to uh, the North Pole, what what happens to them there. And she's just a great character uh, relative, very similar to some of the the female characters that I love in uh, Ghibli studio um, canon. Um, Satsuki, Tortoro, Shida, Castle in the Sky, Kiki, Arietti—those kind of characters, where they are—it's kind of more about the the adventure that they go on and kind of developing themselves as a character, rather than the princess fairy tales, where it's often about kind of the love story. So um, she's a she's a great character, and um, the the story also has kind of taps into. Mm, Loss, I guess, and sorrow in a in a way that maybe a lot of film uh, animated films avoid, but I think is also in something like Secret of Kells or a Song of the Sea, which is another similar uh, similar film. Um, but the thing I did also really love about the film is this just the animation itself. It is animated in a style where the the out the extra year. It's it's line drawings and then there's the it's filled in with color but the line drawings in the in the final version of it are removed and so you just have the color fills of of the um, that you see on on the screen and and it has this effect of kind of this abstract look and it looked very at first very simple like when I watched the trailer I wasn't particularly drawn to it but when you're actually watching the whole film it has this it leaves this really beautiful impression and there's a lot of um, work with light and shadow, um, and the way that, that light falls on faces or buildings. And it, like just the view of St. Petersburg is, is gorgeous. And the, and the view of the, the North Pole and the ship itself, um, and the sound design is great. So, um, I was thinking a lot of my husband, Yuri, who loves sailing. And so there's this kind of the sounds of the sea, um, are, are really well done. Um, the, the, Filmmaker was also inspired by Ernest Shackleton, some of the, the the photos from Ernest Shackleton's expedition to the Antarctic. And so I was thinking of, of that when I watched the film. And then when I read about it later, he was indeed um, looking at some of the photos when he was animating, animating the film. So it really is just a beautifully evocative um, film in terms of the way that it looks, but it's, it's also a great story and a great character. Um, and the the pacing of it is maybe a little bit slower than a lot of um, animated films, which reminded me again of something like um, maybe *Secret Secret World of Ariety or something like that. But it but it's a pretty it's it's only eighty eighty minutes or so, so it, it it never really lags, and it's it's just a very satisfying children's film that doesn't actually feel like a children's film in the same way that so many of the ones that you might see at the Cineplex. Um, do so definitely rec- recommend it and i'm um, i'm looking forward to just watching it with my my own kids i think they'll really enjoy it
0: yeah that's one i i, I have heard about for a, a while i remember reading um before it came out like a preview thing on some website cartoon brew or something like that and yeah it mm-hmm. looks really really cool
2: it's fascinating i haven't seen anything like it i don't think in terms of the, how they do the animation it's yeah. it's really neat yeah
0: Nice. All right.
2: That's it's
1: Witt
0: Stillman time. <laughs> Here we go.
1: I, I uh, I'm actually going to hold off on talking about, uh, love and friendship. I, I loved it. Obviously you, you liked it as well, Melissa and Mike, you haven't yes. seen it. Uh, I'm going to watch it again tomorrow. Uh, and I got Wit Stillman's companion novel and I'm going to read that. Uh, so wait, we can talk about love and friendship on the next episode. Just, uh, you know, everyone should go see it.
2: Yes, I want to see it again. And Mike, you should see it too.
1: I'll see it. You should, you should see it. I, you, you, you might like it. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, old. <laughs> uh, I, do, I do have uh, a couple of other movies to talk about. Um, one is uh, a movie I, I mentioned on the, the last episode that I was looking forward to, and that is uh, a Concerto. Uh, a Beethoven Journey by uh, the uh, classical music documentarian Phil Grabsky, and uh, it is it is really good. It is pretty much uh, exactly what I expected. It is a, a kind of a novel uh, and interesting look at uh, Beethoven's five piano concertos. Uh, the The pianist who who spends four years uh, studying and performing the concertos kind of talks us through them. Uh, explains why they're interesting, explains, you know, how it kind of connects them to Beethoven's biography. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a fun little movie, uh, not a boring classical music documentary at all. <laughs> uh, the other uh, uh, pretty good documentary I saw is the Werner Herzog Internet documentary, which I can't talk about, but it is a Werner Herzog Internet documentary, and <laughs> uh, it is exactly what you think that would be. Uh, but is it a
0: series of tubes
1: it is a series of tubes <laughs> uh, it is it is it is funny uh, it is digressive uh, werner herzog i think is quite possibly the funniest german in history mm. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah. hey martina hill have you ever oh she's she's a peach there's when i was in germany this is talk about digressions here. We found this show when I was in Germany was it last year or year before. Um, there's this sketch comedy show. There's like little skits. And Martina Hill's the star. It's called Kanala Frauen. And it's so freaking funny. And it's all in German. I have no idea what they're saying. But she's a really great comedic <laughs> actress. It's on, it's on YouTube. You should see it. It's good stuff. But anyway, Werner Herzog. He's the funniest Bavarian. Yeah, <laughs> right. Sure. You,
2: have to, you have to distinguish.
0: You do.
1: Yeah, he's he's very touchy about that, which yeah. is also hilarious. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, uh it's not it's not it's not one of his best documentaries, I don't think. Uh it it kind of lacks coherence, which is kind of implied in the in the subtitle, which is it's Reveries of a Connected World, and it's like mm-hmm. broken into like eleven different chapter headings or something I wasn't I wasn't keeping track. But uh yeah, it doesn't. Yeah, I don't know that it really hangs together in the way that that maybe he wanted it to. Uh, but I can't talk mm-hmm. about that because there's a hold on it. Uh, a better internet movie, I think, is uh, is Shinji Iwai's, uh A Bride for Rip Van Winkle, which kind of which takes the internet as as not so much its subject as uh, as everything about the internet and the way that that we live on the internet. Uh, in, infects everything in the heroine's life as uh, she first meets her boyfriend and online and then she's not sure about the relationship and, and she meets this guy who like helps her uh, do various things that end up making her life uh, more and more virtual not in the sense that it's like like digital like lawnmower man or something but in that in that everything around her become becomes fake because people are pretending who to be things that they are not and she ends up that way as well but it doesn't make her life any less meaningful if anything it actually makes it more so which is really kind of confounding and and why does this over like a three hour movie that you never really have any idea where it's going like i i uh if you would ask me like 15 minutes into the film where what the last 15 minutes would be like i would have had no idea i would have been completely wrong like it it's it's really kind of a a fascinating way of making a film that it just kind of seems to ramble, but it makes emotional sense every step mm. of the way. Mm. Uh, I think I think it might be a really great movie. I'm not really sure yet.
2: <laughs> and what's it called again?
1: A Bride for Rip Van Winkle. Okay. Although on Letterboxd uh, they call it The Bride for Rip Van Winkle, which uh, or The Bride of Rip Van Winkle, which is not the That's same thing. Weird. No. Right. <laughs> but. Uh, <laughs>
2: little prepositions
1: yeah uh but yeah it's uh it's very good and in in like the, the plot is complicated in the same way that the final master's plot is is complicated but it everything in this movie makes sense at the time that it happens and it's only when you look at it in totality that you have no idea how we got from a to to z but but it works
2: That sounds that sounds really interesting.
1: So yeah, that that is that is a film that if it is playing at your uh, Sonoma
0: Film Festival, you should should
2: check it out. (laughs) Definitely find it. I'll tell my dad.
0: Yeah. Cool. Well, we we've survived half of this film festival, and oh wait, who lost a hand this episode? Someone was supposed to lose a hand. I'm looking at both of mine. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Uh, should we uh, mention things that are coming up uh, over the rest of the festival that we want to see quickly? Uh, I guess that's you saying we should. <laughs> so, are people have something to look forward that? to on the next episode of The Francis Farmer Show, where we will talk about how we can't talk about mountains made apart, even though we all saw it six months ago. Right. <laughs> nine months ago, I guess. Sure. We'll talk about not
2: talking about that one. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Uh, We can talk about uh, Dragon Gate Inn and The General. That's right. Although I can't make it to The General. I already said that. But uh, I... There's a new... uh, There's a Milky Way
1: image film Johnny Toe producing. Uh, I think it's uh, Trevisa. I'm going to check that out. Uh, uh, Murmur of the Hearts, the Sylvia Mm -hmm. Chang movie yep uh the academy of muses uh should be good the Sion sono tag i want (laughs) to see that that's playing again it's already played twice i think but uh yeah yeah i want to see that one too
2: um i'm belfast we mentioned that one last time yeah i want to see that one still
1: uh the kiyoshi kurosawa movie of course uh eastern promises which which siF <laughs> apparently has a hold on it's on the list of hold movies what? It's been out for 10 years but you what? know that's, that's, uh, right. that's bizarre <laughs> nice. uh, yeah uh, the, the Guy Madden documentary I want to watch that uh, I'm scared of that one I don't yeah, know about that right. one. it's only an hour long yeah. I mean I know I think it's gonna doing? be annoying but uh, hey, but uh, camera y- person which you watch I, I really want to watch that and and alone. I want to see that too, and and maybe Long Way North also uh, movies that you guys yeah. have seen that I haven't.
2: That'd be good. No. Uh, yeah. I want I want to see one called The Bacchus Lady. Bacchus Lady, mm-hmm. um, Korean film. So I'm kind of I'm kind of going with the Mike's draw for Korean. There you films go. Here. I
0: but will it's, have it's... seen it by then too. So
2: <laughs> yeah, are you are you looking forward to that one?
0: I am. I yeah. <laughs> I, I guess I mean I'm not like I'm not ecstatic like I <laughs> yeah, mean just well just see here's thing. the thing I mean yeah I don't know like there there's a huge number of uh well not a huge number but there there are a lot of Korean directors who I'm I'm really really excited about their stuff like Lee Chang Dong and you know Hong Sang Su and stuff like that um th- this is not in that category I'll right. say that much but it's yeah. but it, it sounds interesting you know, prostitutes. That's my that's up my alley. I'm down.
2: Yeah, that it's apparently a, a real a real problem.
0: Yeah. The fictional films are
2: a real
0: problem. Yeah. Uh. Yeah, okay, I think you mentioned in, all the ones. Yeah, uh, I think I'm going to see Paths of the Paths of the Soul. Sorry, I can't speak anymore. I hit my limit. My 90 word limit. My tongue <laughs> my tongue stopped working. Paths of the Soul, which is a documentary about the uh, Tibetan pilgrimage um i don't think it's a documentary well it's a docudrama thing kind right. of i think yeah. it's kind of blurs that line a little bit um so i i've heard good things about that one i'm kind of interested in that um yeah and then most of the stuff that you guys have mentioned or that we mentioned on the previous show so oh and there's the the ham uh blah, 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 samo hung movie oh the samo hung movie yeah that's uh yeah. that's
1: tomorrow yeah
0: well without further ado you can find out about all the stuff we're watching, almost, at least in some capacity, even if it's only 90 words, at seattlescreenscene.com. Uh, we're on Twitter, uh, as long as it's kept far, far away from me, uh, at Seattle Screen, because I, 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 I'm I throwing the wrong Twitter handles out there, causing chaos in the multiverse. Uh, and we have an email account, seattlescreen at gmail.com. Uh, it's always great talking to you, Melissa.
2: You too, Mike.
0: Sean, not so much. (laughs) The the professor, as we call him. Uh, We'll
1: we'll be back uh, again uh, two weeks from today, I believe. So it won't be our regularly scheduled time, but for the end of the festival. Is that the
2: end? Is it ending?
1: Yeah, two weeks from today,
0: the festival ends. Wow. My God. (laughs) 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 he said with he said through a yawn well thanks for listening everybody i don't know are these episodes interesting does anybody like these episodes i don't know
1: well i mean does anyone like any of them
0: i don't know (laughs) you you
2: guys don't get any ratings
1: uh we we, we haven't been rated on itunes in a long time And I think one of one of our ratings I, on one of our like three reviews on iTunes is from you.
0: So.
2: I know. I, I, I gave. <laughs> yeah, you might have it. to take that, that down. A few years ago, <laughs> I know. Well, you it's need to write person, a, now.
0: You need to write a new one that just says "sexy and gross," <laughs> and then, <that>, and <laughs> yeah. then, then we'll, we'll be bring informed. them in. Yeah. Yeah, I, I swear, if we if we had "sexy and gross," we would be the most popular podcast <laughs> in the world.
2: At least so. for the first thirty seconds, right? Until we started talking. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> then it's just gross. There's no, yeah. se- there's no sexy here.
2: <laughs> it's all
0: gone. It's all gone out the window. All right. Well, are we still recording? Is this like, are people listening? To yeah, this part? you have to say goodbye <laughs> to end the show, Mike.
1: <laughs> You've well, done this like a hundred times.
0: Until <laughs> we they- meet again. <laughs> Fare thee well. In Sif we trust. Uh, E pluribus unum. Good night and good luck. (laughs) All right, now we're done. I (laughs) nailed that. I nailed that. You You did. (laughs)